Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's gonna be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're gonna hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk, nope. we gotta sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Hello, Brett. How are you? Here we are again. What you been doing? I hadn't seen you in about four days. Why is that? I have been in the woods at deer camp. Yes, you have. Do you smell like you've been in the woods at deer camp? You know, when y'all walked in the door about 30 <laughs> minutes ago, I was actually doing something and I could kind of lean down and I leaned into my shirt and I could smell mm. my armpit and I earthy. my eyes watered. <laughs> That's part of it. So when we leave here, I'm going to go home and take another shower to kind of get back into yeah, city civilization. Life. Yes. Good. I've missed you, so it's good to see I you. I know. I've missed you, too. I'm glad to have the weekend. It's kind of fun to, with, that you get back on a Friday because then we don't have to we just have like to jump, jump right back, back into, into it. work. Yeah, we know. can just... And there's no Baylor game this weekend, no. so you're not going to be like all in on, on that. that. No, we but we just, are here in the thick of the Christmas season. We are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've been thinking a lot about this because Christmas means something very different or the holidays mean something very different for everyone. Yes. And um, I think all of us sense the stress of this time of year in one way or the other, whether it's the commercialization or the parties that we're going to or like, oh my gosh, what the hell? I haven't even done Christmas cards. I'm getting all these Christmas cards. I'm supposed to do Christmas cards. What are we going to wear? And it's like this amped up thing. It is, but it's also amped up because we are at a place in history where if you t- choose to talk about politics over the next couple of weeks at Christmas, oh, I mean, we're in the middle of an impeachment. Truly. That, that's not a normal We are facing a really here. interesting. So yeah, so think about it. Here we are in the midst of the holidays, which in the Christian tradition is really the sacred time of Advent, of like waiting this long expected, you know, Messiah and all of the longing and all of the want. So it's supposed to be kind of this reflective time, right? But here we are, and this happens every year where we get like whipped up into a frenzy. And then on top of that, we've got the end of a decade we're, oh, that's right. We're about to end a decade. And so there's this kind of like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing the last 10 years and where are we going? And it's been a hard last 10 years. And then we've got this impeachment thing. So yeah, there's just a lot going on. All the things. Which is why I really wanted to bring on our good friend and kind of local like guru around here as far as Waco goes. Rod Hetzel. Yay. So welcome to the show, Rod. Woo! Hi, thank you. You're welcome. I'm so yeah. glad to be here. Man, we are so glad to have you. Yeah, thank you. So Rod is a licensed psychologist. He has mm-hmm. a private practice here in Waco, Texas. Um, you're a little hard to get into, I'm just going to say. 
it's a mixed blessing. I'm, yeah. gra- I'm grateful <laughs> that people are being helped, and yeah. I wish it were easier to get in sometimes. I know, but yeah. you're you're just one man, right? Like, yeah. how far can you go? That's right. Um, you are an Enneagram kind of guy. You, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm looked all you've got some great resources on your website which we'll direct people to later um you are a Gottman certified marriage is that certified Gottman therapist certified Mm -hmm. Gottman therapist um you really have a focus on what it means to really do partnership and marriage and how to like foster these healthy relationships from healthy communication um, you do individual therapy, marriage mm-hmm. therapy. Um, you even you're a contemplative, so you've got mm-hmm. contemplative practices listed on your website. So you're just kind of hitting all the things. And I wanted mm-hmm. to bring you in because I I have so many questions about how do we kind of approach the holidays. A lot of us are traveling back into families of origin, mm-hmm. um, hometowns, or you know. Uh, or maybe we're maybe we're not, and that has right. its own right. loneliness to it. Mm-hmm. So, give us some kind of understanding about how can we stay grounded mm. during this season. That's such a great question, and your lead up to that question was really good too. I mean, this is a really challenging time in our culture, in our history with politics, with the way society's been changing lately, um, with information overload for people, it's really challenging around the holidays. And I think it's important that people recognize that, Mm -hmm. that the holidays are not always easy, and there are some unique challenges that we're facing nowadays. And I think that's so important because we so often think about the expectations that others put on us or that society places on us, and those expectations can really cause us to get ungrounded, to, mm. to cause us to lose our balance. So I think it's important to realize that these really, the holidays can be really hard for so many reasons. And because of that, I think it's so important that we adopt a spirit of gentleness and mm. compassion, first mm. of all, mm. towards ourselves, towards other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hold ourselves lightly. Mm. Um, we take time to... Um, reflect on where we are in the holidays. Um, For some of us, that might mean that they're really excited about going home to to see family members. For others, maybe they've lost family members or they're estranged from family members, and that can be really Mm. sad for people. There can be a great sense of joy, but also a great experience of loss, too. And so I think it's important that we hold ourselves with gentleness and compassion is probably the number one way of staying grounded. So we use, and I just let off with this term, but I realize maybe some of our listeners don't even have a framework of what groundedness mm. is. Yeah. So kind of talk us through what does it mean to be grounded? Yeah. What does it mean to feel like untethered or ungrounded? And what's happening in the brain when all of either when we're grounded, what's happening, and then when we're not, what's happening in our brain and in our body. What is this whole thing? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we are social mammals, right? And so our central nervous systems are designed in such a way that we need a safe and secure 
connection with important people in our lives. We need we call that an, an attachment bond, mm -hmm. and that by virtue of being social mammals, we are designed to need safe and secure attachment bonds as much as we need air and mm -hmm. water and food. And one of the ways that we can feel grounded is knowing that we have that safe and secure attachment bond with somebody in our lives. Mm -hmm. For many people, that means their spouse or their partner. But it doesn't mean if you're single, you can't have safe and secure attachment bonds. Um, it's important that we have safe people in our life that we can be vulnerable with, that we can be transparent with, that we can um, have trust that they love us and we love them. And so when we have those safe and secure attachment bonds, that helps us to feel more grounded. Um, it's kind of like the sense of, I can get through anything whatever the holidays throw at us, as long as I know that I have this other person or other mm -hmm. people that are going to be there for me. Um, I sometimes say the question that we need to have answered um, so often is the question of, are you there for me with the mm -hmm. significant people mm -hmm. in our life? And R is actually an acronym, A-R-E. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, is this other person accessible? Like if I need them, will they be there? Um, will they be present with me? That's A. R stands for responsive. Will they be emotionally responsive to me? So when I go to them and say, I need help or I'm really struggling with this issue here, will they be responsive? Will they, will they talk with me? Will they listen to me? Will I know that they're present with me? And then E in the acronym stands for engaged. So are they going to be emotionally engaged with me? Will they stay connected with me? Will they follow up with me? So we need to know the answer to that question of, are you there for me? Are you accessible? Are you responsive? And are you engaged? And when we have those kinds of safe and secure attachment bonds where we can answer that question, are you there for me, in the affirmative, it helps to produce a, a, a response throughout our body um, that helps us to feel more grounded, mm -hmm. more at peace, more physiologically relaxed, it produces the um, production of oxytocin in the brain, which is called, uh, often called the bonding hormone. Mm -hmm. And we know that when we are in a safe and secure relationship, when we feel heard and seen and held in that relationship, our bodies are producing more oxytocin. Mm -hmm. And that's so important because oxytocin it's, is thought to serve as a buffer against stress and particularly the hormone cortisol, mm -hmm. which is a hormone release when we're in stressful situations. So one of the reasons why relationships are so important in general in life, but also during stressful times like the holiday, is because those safe and secure attachment bonds help to produce physiological changes within mm -hmm. us that helps to counteract the impact of stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so what, what happens when some of those people who say, Oh, I'm there for you. I am there for you. Yeah. And those people showing up are some of the most toxic individuals you have in your life. You're like, no, I'd really, I'd really wish maybe you weren't yeah. as readily available because when I'm with you and so can there be, and I know that I know that there is, but can you maybe talk our listeners through the fact that there's a lot of people in your life, especially if you come from dysfunction, mm -hmm who are sometimes there for the long haul, mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily need them as engaged yeah. for the long haul. Yeah. And we need to talk 
maybe to some of our listeners about what boundaries look like. Mm-hmm. Like how how do we define what a safe person is? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a boundary, I think that's an important term to define. A boundary is going to be any kind of physical, emotional, or spiritual limit that helps to define who we are and who we're not. Mm-hmm. It, a boundary helps to define where I end and where you begin. Right. I mean, if you think about a, a, like a fence, for example, in a person's backyard, that fence is a boundary and your property is on one side of the fence and the other person's property is on the other side. We have all sorts of boundaries in our relationships as well. Um, we have material boundaries, like, for example, um, are you willing to lend your possessions to people? Are you willing to allow people to come into your home? Who do you allow to come into your home? We have mental boundaries that relate to our values uh, and our beliefs. We have emotional va- boundaries about um, who we allow into our emotional world. Um, we have boundaries related to physical touch, mm-hmm. like who who do we allow to touch us? Mm-hmm. To who do we allow to hug or kiss us? And or that's a big thing too hand. for parents who have kids. You know, I I grew up in in the the norm was like right. get over there and give your uncle a hug. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was like just a. Yeah. Now you, I'm not saying my parents necessarily made me do that, but that yeah. was the prevailing culture. Yeah. Was this expectation that you had to engage and kiss and hug yeah. And Which, yeah, all I mean, of these I, long lost relatives just that didn't tell, you didn't even know. I was just telling you a minute ago, I remember my great grandfather was this small little man who would sit in this chair and he had one of those clawed um, uh, canes, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? It has yeah. the four prongs on it. And every time I would walk by him, he would he would like shake it at me and make this scary, creepy man noise. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that's my, my one of my only memories of him. <laughs> yeah. But and here you are decades later remembering that. Remembering about it. Him. But I had to right. give him a hug and I'm like, that's a scary old man. <laughs> that's very Why scary. Why am I gonna give him a hug? Yeah. Because it's Christmas. Right. So Yeah, we we sometimes are unintentionally teaching kids that their physical boundaries are not important. Yes. When we say, Come up here and give your grandmother a hug and a kiss. Mm-hmm. Well, the child may not want to give grandmother a hug and a kiss. And I think it is important that we help kids to recognize that their their boundaries are important mm-hmm. and they do have a voice um, in being able to express and to maintain their boundaries. Yeah. Um, as far as allowing, what what's happening in our body or maybe what are some things that might cue us in to understanding when someone has perhaps violated a boundary. Yeah. Have you ever had the experience where you're talking with someone and the hair in the back of your neck stands up? Mm. And you may not know what's wrong, but you just have a sensation in your body that something's not quite right here. You don't know what it is, but the hair in the back of your neck stands up. Maybe you start to perspire a little bit or you feel a little bit fidgety. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to pay attention to those physiological sensations that Mm -hmm. we have because very often that is the first time that we become aware that something is not quite right. And maybe there is a boundary that's being crossed or being violated. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that sensation is there to alert us of maybe something's not quite right the way it needs, the way things are happening right now. Mm. So I, I think paying attention to our physical selves, our physical bodies is super important. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, and I just, I just wonder, I think what, what we have often been taught to do is to ignore our bodies. That's right. And that they're, that our, our feelings are wrong. Yeah. And they can't be trusted. Yeah, that's oh, right. don't trust them. Yeah. You know, they'll lead you astray. And that kind of language, especially from the faith community, is super damaging when you're yeah. like, wait, your body's the holy temple. Yeah. Yeah, so it, yeah. it doesn't even make sense. One, because of, one of the first books I read um, when uh, I became a person of faith was a book entitled Emotions, Can You Trust Them? Mm. And of course, you can imagine the answer was no. Yeah. You can't trust your emotions. And now as a psychologist, I think that is just bad guidance. Our wow. emotions are vital. We absolutely must pay attention to our emotions because there's so much important information that our emotions are trying to communicate to us. Think, for example, when we feel anxiety. Mm. We feel anxiety because maybe we start having, we notice that we worry about something or we notice um, physical sensations in our body like our uh, breathing gets faster or we perspire a little bit. Anxiety is often an emotion that is there to tell us that there is some kind of threat in the immediate future for you. And it's there to kind of put you on guard so you can look for what the threat is and then take appropriate action. Or think about sadness, for mm -hmm. example. Sadness is such an important emotion, particularly during the holiday season when we know that people do experience what we call the holiday blues. Definitely. Sadness is there to tell us that there is a loss that mm -hmm. we have experienced and there's something, some sort of grieving or mourning that has to be done. And people feel sadness differently in their bodies, but often they feel it kind of like a, a pit in their stomach mm -hmm. or they might feel it in their throat or they might notice their eyes start to water. Mm -hmm. So when we feel sadness, it's important to ask ourselves, okay, is, is this sadness trying to tell me about a loss that I'm experiencing? Mm -hmm. And if it is, what do I need to do to grieve mm -hmm. that loss now? I'll give you one more example that's really important. It's the emotion of anger. And we're often taught that anger is an unacceptable emotion as well. But again, anger is just as important as all the other emotions. Anger is there to tell us that a boundary has been violated or crossed. And it serves a kind of a dual purpose. Anger, first of all, alerts us to the boundary that's been crossed or violated. <laughs> right? We don't know anything about don't anger know anything as a one and an eight. As a one and an eight, right. This is your emotion. Yes. But it tells us that it alerts us to the boundary crossing or the boundary violation, but it also then energizes us to either protect or repair mm. or restore the boundary that's been crossed. Mm. So when we notice anger within ourselves, we really need to pay attention to that because that may be another sign that a boundary has been crossed. Yeah. And if we don't pay attention to the anger, then we may have no idea that the boundary has been violated or a need hasn't been met. Which that potentially might arise around political conversations mm. this holiday season. Absolutely. You're getting angry because you're, you, you know, this is your side and this is someone else. It's like we can't, we just can't talk about it anymore. Right. You know, the, the, the atmosphere is too charged with. It's, it's just become so personalized. Yeah, we don't even know those people. No. And, and the, the conversation ends up becoming you stupid conservative, you stupid yeah. liberal, you, and it's, yeah. it's so demonizing to where you're not, you're actually then not even talking about politics, you're talking about 
people. That's right. That way. So, <laughs> so when you think about political conversations um, that come up and you feel angry when they come up, what do you think the boundaries might be mm-hmm. that are being crossed or violated? Mm-hmm. What comes to mind when you think about well, that? I mean, I, I would think my values because yeah. I'm going right. to, I'm a values based, at least a lot of people are values based voters. That's mm-hmm. right. So because this candidate has my hot button issue and they stand for that, but this one doesn't, then I kind of put all my eggs in this basket. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Emily? Yeah. I think, I think values and I probably think of it less in terms of values of a political association, mm-hmm. but more of values of how we're talking about right. these things. That's like right. My value of respect and integrity. You got it. And yeah. so if I feel like whoever is talking about politics is all of a sudden, you know, um, devaluing. That's exactly right. Or dehumanizing someone. Yeah. Then I become angry. That's right. Because, because that crosses value. a value that you hold very yes. dearly. Mm-hmm. And so that anger is so important for you to be aware of because it may not even be about the political difference mm-hmm. or the political issue. Right. It's about the relationship you have with the person that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Isn't that it, crazy to think about that even in the midst of you're talking about Trump or you're talking about this and now right. all of a sudden now you're actually talking about your relationship with that person. That's That's what you're feeling. That's right. That's right. Mm. And at a physiological level, when you notice that's happening, um, we pay attention to that so we can then reorient ourselves to what's re- what the conversation is really about. And maybe it's about the way your relative is talking to you. Mm-hmm. It feels disrespectful of your values. Your mm-hmm. relative knows that you hold these values. Right. And the way they're talking about it is saying that you are wrong. Yeah. If you make this, if you vote for this candidate, you are wrong. And that feels inherently devaluing to us. Because yes. we want to know... I mean, ideally, we long to know that it's okay for us to have differences. Mm -hmm. I respect you, and Mm -hmm. I love you, even though we see this particular issue differently. Mm -hmm. I I value you, and I respect you as a person. And sometimes that doesn't come through when we get into these political conversations at the Mm -hmm. holiday table. I think there's two P words that I think that Mm. can just destroy this sense of community sometimes. And there are two areas that are so personal, that Mm -hmm. are so just hit on our values. One is politics. And then the other one that comes up inevitably is parenting. Yeah. So when, when you are a parent, if you've got kids and then you're traveling to people's houses that also have kids, Mm -hmm then those kids are going to be playing together, right? Right. And you, you almost like, and we do this all the time, less so, I mean, still with Gus because he's young, but, you know, the girls are teenagers, so they understand what we value. But, I mean, I remember having constant conversations as we would go into mm-hmm. different, whether it was a community group or some sort of party with other kids, but like, hey, Remember this. This is what we value. Mm-hmm. This is this. We're not going to use these terms to talk about people ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone asks you to do anything that you don't feel comfortable doing, come and talk to. But parenting is huge because is. wow, like you get into some sticky territory mm-hmm. with other family members who either think they can discipline your kids or or have you have different ideas of disciplining. So. 
yeah, how do you, I mean, how do you go about like, I have so many <laughs> stories, stories flashing before my mind right now. I know it's crazy. It, it is a, it's a minefield to walk through because I think what it, what ends up happening when, when you do have children is they then begin to mirror back to you mm-hmm. either your like deficit of like, Hey, you haven't worked on this. Right. I'm needing some guidance right. and mom has no language for me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's scary. That is scary. It's scary for a kid. Yeah. Um, or like, gosh, why is mom so mad all of a sudden about mm-hmm. what aunt so-and-so did? Yeah. You know, when you get dysregulated as a parent, because mm-hmm. you're upset, you're angry, you're anxious, your kids pick up on your dysregulation mm-hmm. and that can lead them to be dysregulated as mm-hmm. well. And then if they're feeling disre- dysregulated and they start to misbehave, then you, as a parent, you're already dysregulated. You try to <laughs> discipline or parent them and you have a dysregulated parent trying to uh. discipline a dysregulated child and that doesn't help the child. Oh, it's Our just kids need us to be regulated. Yes. So that, and we're the adults, we're the parents. So the, the responsibility is on our shoulders. Absolutely. We have to find a way of, again, when we feel dysregulated, getting grounded, mm-hmm. taking some deep breaths, kind of resetting our physiological response so we can then approach our child mm-hmm. who is maybe misbehaving from a place of groundedness and mm-hmm. centeredness mm-hmm. Where, we're, where we're responding and not reacting. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Yeah. Mm. And it, it is, it is a um, fast moving train. It is a very fast moving train to catch yourself. I think yeah. Brene Brown says um, she, she told her child one time, I realize when, when mommy is scared, mm-hmm. mommy acts scary. Right. And so she, I was like, oh, that's a great, Mm -hmm. very simple way to say, hey, I'm scared. It's a good check for parents when you're going into these situations where things do, you're already kind of on a, you're not sleeping in your own bed. Maybe Mm -hmm. you're eating food. You don't really care. You're on everyone else's schedule. That's right. And so there is dysregulation there. Right. And stressors. I mean, those are all stressors right there. Sure. Not even having your own bed. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what, yeah, what do you need to do? And how do you preemptively go, hey, I'm headed to this space Mm -hmm. where I know these things are going to be beyond some of my control. Right. So what can I control? You know, can I get up a little early and take a walk? Mm -hmm. Can I say, no, I don't want to go eat there tonight and Mm -hmm. be okay with it. That's right. Instead of, you know, getting snarky and biting someone's head off or making your kids pay for your sour attitude at the dinner table because you're pissed that you're having to eat at this restaurant or, you know, whatever it is. But there are, there are so many things that you can do to take ownership of your regulation. Like Mm -hmm. zero other people can do that. That's right. And you. you need to know what those things are that are within your ability to control before you enter into the situation. Mm -hmm. So what this means, I think, practically speaking is for the holidays, do, do a heart check for yourself. How are you feeling about the holidays? Are you feeling exhausted? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling excited? Are mm-hmm. you feeling happy about the holidays? Mm-hmm. Do, do a heart check so you have a sense of where you are emotionally mm-hmm. um, during the holidays. And 
pay attention to what your needs are just as a person. Um, if you're married, talk with your partner about yeah. how each of you are feeling. What are the challenges going to be as you enter into the holiday season? Mm -hmm. For example, like if you've lost a, a relative, um, a relative has died, for example, and you're feeling sad, talk with your partner about that beforehand. Um, know what you need from your partner and put those needs into words to your partner because yeah. it's going to take the two of you to make it through the holidays together. What about the old in-law situation, Rod? <laughs> what know, about the that, old in-law situation? I know that you are, you know, you're the, you're the marriage guru and, yeah. you know, there are some folks that have been blessed with really great in-law um, experiences and relationships and there's some folks who have a little bit more of a difficult relationship with their in-laws. Yeah. What would you say to those, I guess, speak into both of those scenarios. If mm -hmm. you've got a situation that, you know, is just, you're thinking, oh, I don't want to hug my mother-in-law. I just don't want to hug her. Yeah. I just, it's just hard. Yeah. How do you not hug your mother-in-law keeping your own boundary, but yet you do follow me? Yeah. She feels like that's rude. Yeah. And now we all of a sudden we have a, we have an explosion and because you didn't hug your mother-in-law mm -hmm. or whatever, right. it, yeah. I didn't open the door mm -hmm. or how would you speak to that? Well, there's no one right, correct way to do this, right? Um, if you don't, just using your example of not feeling comfortable hugging your mother-in-law, it may be okay for you to say to yourself, you know, it really makes me feel uncomfortable. I feel awkward. And this is important enough to me that I'm going to do something else instead of hugging my mother-in-law. And maybe you then talk with your partner ahead of time so your partner knows mm -hmm. why you're uncomfortable hugging your mother-in-law. And the two of you come up with a plan together. And I would say instead of focusing on what you're not going to do, can you focus on what you are going to do? Mm -hmm. So if you feel uncomfortable hugging your mother-in-law, what can you do to express affection or when you greet one another. Right. So you prepare that in advance. Um, but on the other hand, you may decide, you know, I'm uncomfortable hugging my mother-in-law. Um, and my, my boundaries are important, but I have other values in this situation that are more important. Um, I might value the family togetherness. Um, and because those values are so important, I am willing to experience the discomfort of hugging my mother-in-law. Mm. Um, and so you could, I could easily see where a person would say, yeah, this makes me uncomfortable, but I am going to still do this uncomfortable thing because it's important to me for other reasons. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think if you and your partner can, can talk about that beforehand and kind of make a plan mm -hmm. together. My wife and I have a phrase that we developed over the years when we have faced, um, uh, difficult family of origin situations. We will prepare, uh, we'll talk, we'll sit down and talk about it before we go over to that person's house. And we have a phrase where we say, we got this. Mm -hmm. We just look at each other and we say what's what we're feeling uncomfortable about or anxious about. And we say, we got this. We are here for each other. And that kind of becomes a mantra then that my wife and I take into whatever situation we're going into. And I find that helps me then because when I'm facing an uncomfortable interaction with a family member, in my mind, I'm still carrying around the fact that my wife and I have this. So you know you're not alone in that. I know I'm not alone. Yeah, you and know which she's is with that, that whole thing. are you are there, you there for, for me? Yeah. Right. And even if my wife isn't physically in the same room with me, I've still internalized her in my mm -hmm. heart so I can do hard things 
because I carry my wife with me. Mm. And she can do hard things because she carries me with her. Mm. But and, we, you know, at some point you're going to have a check-in as well. Absolutely. So you can debrief what that's happened right. and you're, you're on the same team. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm. That's so important for married couples to um, remember that they're on the same team, but actually develop practices that remind them that mm. they're on the same team. I think that's important. Wow. I... I I just had this thought of a friend of mine and she and her husband continually struggle with extended family Mm -hmm. and, and inevitably one of them continually feels run over Mm -hmm. by the holiday demands Mm -hmm. of of all the family things they've got to go do. Mm -hmm. It seems that this loyalty, like, to the family system mm-hmm. is more important than loyalty to one another, to mm-hmm. the marriage, to the right. partnership. Um, and I'm just wondering how, you know, why, why don't we, I don't know, why can't we talk about that maybe a little more as maybe we just don't have the right tools um, to really kind of ask those questions of, you know, is it unfair to ask like, Hey, I, I don't feel like this is possible for us to do with our family this Christmas. Like why can't some couples say, no, we're not, we're not doing this. You yeah. Know? That's a great question. Um, it could be any number of reasons why couples can't talk about that, but it is important for them to be able to talk about that. There's most likely some kind of pain that's mm-hmm. there when one person doesn't want to do something that the family, the larger family wants to do. And if couples don't talk about that beforehand, they're going to end up getting caught in the midst of it. And they're going to probably end up feeling disconnected Mm -hmm. from one another. So what I encourage couples to do is to sit down before the holidays or before they go travel for the holidays and talk about how they're feeling about what, what's coming up. How are you feeling about seeing you know, grandparents and parents and brothers and sisters? Are there things that come up for you that you're worried about or you're concerned about? Um, And how can I help you with those things? Mm -hmm. What can I do as your husband or what can my wife do as as my wife to, to help us through these difficult things? Can we listen for the pain that is behind the concerns that our spouse has? Because if you listen for it, and your spouse is willing to share it with you, then you can work on drawing together in the mm-hmm. midst of that. But it's, it's just absolutely vital that we do that. Yeah. Because you're not trying to be a bad guy. You're not trying to be a jerk. Mm-hmm. You're struggling with relationships, and you're struggling with patterns that may have been in your family for generations, oh, right? Yeah. That get passed down from one generation to the next. And you're doing the best that you can chances are your family members are doing the best that they can as well. So again, can you be gentle and kind to yourself? And can you reach out to your partner and say, hey, this is where I'm struggling. This is really painful for me. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's important that couples have practices that they can put into play. Because if you don't have these practices, you're just going to be going on autopilot. And that's when the disasters well, are going to come. Well, and it's when, like... Hold on. Okay, okay, say it. Babe, why say? did you just smile at me? I noticed that too, babe. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. I felt a significant energy. <laughs> yeah, There I was just, an energy there. I just, I'm glad, I think because what it is, is 
Like I, I am so glad after we celebrate 20 years in January. Oh, congratulations. And so, yeah, this is when I think back to 20 years ago where we were at this very day, I was, this is the weekend I was graduating from college. I mean, Mm. we were babies. We were clueless. Mm. Just so much has changed. So much has changed. And, um, I think back to everything and it was just a crazy season, Mm -hmm. like, family stuff was crazy. I was the oldest in my family. You know, they weren't crazy about me marrying Brett. They didn't even have any clue what, like, I mean, she ministry, could have Jesus what Jesus would have been, been, been like, you're homeless, you got long hair, and you don't wear shoes. Like, you're out of here. That's right. You know, um, so I just, I just think, wow, 20 years, and I'm so, so thankful that we have better tools than we did back then. I mean... Yeah, we do. I, I'm just... I'm so grateful. I feel like I can talk to you, you know, because I just, that communication is this is what is the saving grace of marriages. Even if you're not like understanding each other. Right. And it's, Mm -hmm. it was, it was difficult in the early days too, because it's like, if I would go share something with you that was troubling to me about your family, mm-hmm. well, now I'm meddling in your family yes. world and you're defending your family yep. versus staying... Drawing near to... At least to, drawing near to me and vice right. versa. Right, you know, it's, Well, that's just how we do that mm-hmm. versus, wait, 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 wait. Wait, we're on the same team now. Yeah. It's beautiful how you're talking about this with oh. each other. Do you hear the are you there for me right. in how mm-hmm. you're talking yeah. that you know that... Brett is accessible to you. Mm-hmm. You know that he's responsive to you. Mm-hmm. You know that he's engaged with you and he stays engaged with you. Yeah. That helps you to feel safe and secure. Definitely. So whatever you all have coming up in your holiday travels this season, you know that the other person's going to be there for you. Definitely. And being able to celebrate that and to recognize that this is a strong bond mm-hmm. that we have, that's so, so important. Mm-hmm. It is. And I think probably taking the time as, as kids come along and things like that, probably taking the time and the practice to do that is something that we don't give ourselves enough time to do. Like we may do it individually or in our own spiritual practice, but Mm -hmm. we're not really communicating that together. Yeah. And I, I recognize like, wow, what power, like for you and Susie to say like, Hey, we got this. Mm -hmm. Like there's like a power that goes into a room when yeah. a couple has that, but, you know, but what comes, I mean, where that comes from though, for us to be able to say, we got this, what came before that is me being able to say to Susie, when your family member does or says, or says this, I feel really anxious. I feel really scared, mm-hmm. feel angry. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know how to respond and I feel helpless and vulnerable and I don't like that feeling. And because I want to honor our family relationships and I know your history with this family Mm -hmm. member and I know how important that relationship is with you. And I need I want to honor that, but I also need you to know the pain that I feel with this. Mm -hmm. And if I can say that to her in such a way, it's focusing on what I'm feeling, what I'm noticing or what I'm needing then I'm not attacking or criticizing the family member. Right. So it's kind of like saying, I sometimes tell people there's a formula, and it's not quite this black and white, but the formula is I feel blank when this family member does or says blank. And what I really need in this moment is blank. Mm -hmm. So I might say I feel really uncomfortable and anxious 
and really way too vulnerable when your family member brings up this political topic mm -hmm. and starts making accusations about mm -hmm. people. Um, I don't know how to respond, and that feels so helpless with that. And I need to know during those moments that you and I are together, that we're on the same team. Can you help me with that? And if I put it that way, my wife is much more likely to respond in a positive and loving way than if I were to say, well, your family member is just such a jerk. Why do they always <laughs> right. act this right, way? Because right. that's going to put her on the defensive. Mm -hmm. So how you approach it is important. Mm -hmm. That you approach it is mm -hmm. important. And we need to have these conversations before we head into these holiday events. And you said just to start the podcast, I mean, it really is about offering kindness and compassion. Yes, absolutely. And first to ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and realizing, you know, I think one of the biggest, like, permissions that I had mm -hmm. recently was just the permission to get curious yeah. about like, why am I responding this way? Yeah. And can I see if I can identify, okay, here's why I'm doing that. Then can I give myself compassion? That's right. Can I give myself grace for whatever it is I discovered yeah. in that inter interior yeah. world of like, you know, fear or right. anxiety or anger. That's um, right. So, you know, what are some, what are some practices that can maybe help our listeners treat themselves with kindness and compassion? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. I wanted to share this practice okay, with you. This is a practice that um, was developed by Kristen Neff, who is a psychologist at UT Austin, and it's called a self-compassion break. And it consists of three different steps. The first step is called mindfulness. And all of that, all that means is in this moment, when you're feeling anxious or angry or afraid or sad, in that moment that you are aware of what you're feeling, you're aware of it, you pay attention to it, and you recognize that in this moment, this is my experience of suffering, right? This is suffering to feel sadness and anger or fear. And so mindfulness is simply being aware that here's what I'm feeling in this moment, and this is a moment of suffering for me. The second step is recognizing your shared humanity, mm. right? There's not a person on the planet who doesn't suffer. We all suffer. It's one of those things that connects and unites all of us. And so the second step is, in this moment of suffering, I am connected with everybody else on the planet. Other people right now are going through very similar experiences as me. And then the third step is kindness instead of criticism. Mm. And it makes sense when you think about it, right? If you're aware of the suffering that you're experiencing, and if you're aware that that suffering connects you with every other person on the planet, you would be kind to another person in their suffering. Can you be kind to yourself? And I often encourage people to use a mantra, something that reminds them to be kind. And I'll sometimes ask people to put their hand on their chest to feel their heart beating. And whatever mantra works for them, maybe it's like, may I be at peace? Or maybe it's Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's just the word love. Mm -hmm. um, and that's called a self-compassion break. So when you catch yourself feeling upset over the holidays, turn your attention inward. Be mindful of what your body is sensing. Put some emotion words to what you're feeling. Recognize those feelings as a moment of suffering. Recognize that your suffering connects you with everybody else on the planet. Mm -hmm and actively be kind to yourself instead of critical of yourself. I love that. That's beautiful. 
I, I think we could all use a little more of that and a little less of the overindulgence of yeah, that's right. Whiskey or right. second round, third round of pecan pie. Absolutely. And, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, it's we're just we we are going to self soothe. We are going to self soothe. Self soothing is a skill that every person learns, and we either learn to do it in healthy ways yeah. or unhealthy ways. Yeah. And we have to be on the lookout over the holiday season because there are unhealthy ways of self soothing mm-hmm. everywhere we look, mm-hmm. from food and drink to shopping, Mm -hmm. to any sort of excess that you can imagine, Mm -hmm. um, those opportunities are there. And they may provide some Mm short-term comfort and soothing for us, but it's not really what we're needing. But if we can feel kind um, and compassionate towards ourselves, that softens our heart. And then we approach interactions with people with a softened heart as well. Mm -hmm. And if we can hold ourselves lightly and gently and kindly, we're much more able to hold others lightly, gently, mm. and kindly. Mm. So suddenly then that political comment mm-hmm. that my family member might make, maybe it lands differently. Maybe in that moment I'm able to take a deep breath and realize, mm-hmm. you know, my family member is suffering too. Mm-hmm. My family member needs to be heard and understood as much as I need to be heard. And understood. And maybe I can offer that to my family member instead of coming back with a quick comment, you know, the kind where it's just like designed to just jab at the person. <laughs> I'm really good at those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, it's talent. Yeah, that's right. You, you know, hearing you talk about this, um, I mean, it, to, we have to be disciplined in this. Like, you know, you might be disciplined with your body or you might be disciplined with your finances. We've got to be disciplined with our emotions yeah. and with our mental state of being. Yeah. I like that, but it's hard. Like it's yeah. easy. Reaching for the criticism is so much easier. It is so much easier. Right. But it's so much harm, so much more harmful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that goes with family members. It goes with our children. It goes with our spouses. Criticism, you know, John Gottman calls criticism one of the four horsemen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's one of those four toxic behaviors yeah. that can really uh, cause damage to mm-hmm. a relationship. And we really need to avoid criticism as mm-hmm. much as we can. And we can avoid criticism by using that approach I talked about earlier. I feel blank when you do or say blank. And what I need is blank. That's focusing on you instead of focusing on attacking the other person. Mm-hmm. I think the um, my anecdote, because I, I am naturally wired to criticize, like criticize myself, criticize Mm -hmm. others, see the problem, want to fix it. It wasn't done the right way. I can have a better way. And it's very toxic and it's gross, you Mm -hmm. know, when it just goes on the cycle. So this permission that I was talking about regarding getting curious Mm -hmm. was like the anecdote for me uh, for criticism. That's right. Because it, it was like this whole new green pasture where I recognized there is some beauty in the way I've been designed to see things. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, everybody doesn't see the way that I see. Everybody mm-hmm. doesn't see the broken or the missing piece or that they don't see that way. That's right. So I can get curious mm-hmm. about, huh, I wonder why, mm-hmm. because this thing is missing, I wonder why I feel the need to talk about that. I wonder why I feel the need to focus on that. You know, and it gave me this permission to like acknowledge, hey, I'm feeling a little bit 
critical or I want to mm-hmm. indulge this fanatic, you know, criticism. Yeah. Curiosity gets a bad rap. You know, we say yeah. curiosity killed the cat. I'm and like, it gave me grace. <laughs> curiosity is one of those qualities that if we can cultivate, it is associated with lots of positive outcomes mm. for students in particular. Yeah. I mean, we know that students that can foster curiosity, they tend to do better in school. Mm-hmm. And I think this applies just to people in general. So if you're looking for um, perfection and you see the flaws in everything, mm-hmm. it might be so easy to be critical of that, right? And say, why isn't it, the, why isn't it different? Why mm-hmm. isn't this perfect? What would it be like to be able to say, huh, that's interesting the way it is right now. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I can be curious about what it is and why is it this way? Yeah. It's almost like Pot, the people listening to this can't see what I'm doing right now, but it's uh-huh. kind of like holding an open palm, mm-hmm. right? And allowing that something to be what it is instead of having a clenched fist mm-hmm. or instead of pushing away against mm-hmm. something, can you have an open palm and say, oh, that's really interesting. I'm noticing this feeling that's coming up for me. Mm-hmm. When my family member said this, I started feeling this way inside. I wonder what that's all about. Mm-hmm. I wonder what got stirred up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if I'm feeling a little vulnerable right now mm-hmm. or a little helpless or a little scared or a little sad. Mm-hmm. wonder what's causing that, where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. It's Does so, that make sense? It's so good, yeah. And I yeah. think for those of us who are in recovery groups yeah. or mine is Al-Anon mm-hmm. that I work the 12 steps in, there's so much regarding acceptance. That's right. It, it really is that open posture of, of going like, I, I accept the missing yeah. whatever. Yeah. I can accept the imperfect mm-hmm. friend, spouse, self. Right. I can expect my imperfect self yeah. and find so much goodness there. We you spend know? so much time trying to cling to the things that we want to experience mm. and pushing away or avoiding the things we don't want to experience that takes a lot of emotional energy to do. Mm-hmm. And if we can just allow ourselves to experience what it is we're experiencing, to, to give it permission to be as it is, then that frees up that energy for us to use on other things, mm-hmm. such as what are my values mm-hmm. or goals mm-hmm. and how if I were to live right now according to my deepest values and goals and convictions, what would I do instead? And maybe you would realize one of your deeper goals is to be compassionate to people mm-hmm. or to create space mm-hmm. for people. And if you're, if you're able to accept with curiosity kind of what your experience is in the moment, then you have a lot of energy then to act in ways mm-hmm. that are consistent with your values and goals. That's so good. Yeah. Um, I just had the thought, and I know we need to wrap up, but I had, gosh, it was this story of, oh, curiosity. And you talked about how it's so essential for Mm -hmm. especially students. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think as we head into um, the holidays and different friend groups, different parties, different family structures, families of origin, maybe you're bringing a boyfriend home for the first time or a girlfriend or a partner or whatever. And it is so, I think, vital to allow our kids, our friends, our partners to, exp- to be curious, mm-hmm. to give them permission 
to ask us questions, mm-hmm. put our defenses down, mm-hmm. know that we're not being criticized, and not to interpret curiosity yeah. as criticism. Right. You know, and to go ahead and say, I mean, there were just, we just had this talk over Thanksgiving. There were just things that was like, oh, we can't talk about that. You can't mm. ask that. You can't, you know, as kids growing up. Yeah. But it's actually so beautiful to foster curiosity with your kids because Absolutely. they'll talk to you more. Absolutely. They'll they just will. be like, I can ask mom and dad anything. So the question then is, what do you need to do as mm-hmm. the adult to minimize the likelihood that your, de- your defenses are going to come up? Right. So they're the grounded. That's coming back to being grounded again. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to knowing what's going on in the state of your heart in the moment. Like, what are you wrestling with? How are you feeling about the holidays? And it's sharing that with a loved one, someone with whom you have a safe and secure bond with, Mm -hmm. someone you know is accessible and responsive and engaged with you. Mm -hmm. And that's going to help you to feel deeply connected, both within yourself but also to your partner. Mm. And when we feel deeply connected to ourselves and to our loved ones, we're able to experience the Mm -hmm. hardships, the uncomfortable feelings that come up, the uncomfortable questions that kids can ask during family (laughs) get-togethers. But you feel more grounded and centered in yourself, and you feel more grounded and centered in your relationship. Mm. And that gives you the resilience to move through these awkward family gatherings. Right. Well, it's just, it's a treat to have you here as we wrap up and where can our listeners find you on the internet or on Instagram or. Well, you can uh, go to my website, which is rodhetzelphd.com. I have some socials, but probably the social uh, site that most people I know prefer uh, is the one operated by our Golden Doodles. Yes! Bene- uh, Benedict and we Sophia. We didn't talk about that. We didn't. we didn't. talk about that. They can find our doodles <laughs> on Instagram, and it's at 2TexasDoodles, T-W-O Texas Doodles. They're precious. They are wonderful. I want to meet them in person. We would love for you to meet them. So are they pet Are they becoming pet therapists? Benedict is being trained to be a therapy dog. Okay. Sophia's still a puppy, and... Just has a different temperament than yeah. Benedict, but we are working on training Benedict to be a therapy dog. So He's I have pictures got a of him. a name for it, you know? That's right. <laughs> well, and he does have a name for it. And Benedict is more popular than Susie or me. Oh, I, I love mean, it. he clearly is. People it. see us walking him and they come up and they say hi to Benedict. Oh, my God. And they forget that we're there. But so people can find me at my website. If they are interested in dogs, they can go to Two Texas Doodles on Instagram. Um, or they can give me a call at my office, uh, and that's at Waco Psychological Associates. You have some great content, videos, books on your website, so I do want to encourage people, if you're curious about Rod's practice, to visit that website so that you can get all the resources. And we will also have links on, um, on the, website. the podcast page. So hey, I have to ask you this real quick. Have you seen Mr. Rogers yet? I have seen Mr. Rogers. <sighs> what, just real quick. Beautiful what, movie. He was a he was a real hero. Absolutely, he was. And just a minute ago, you were talking, and I was having a Mister Rogers moment. <laughs> it was that really? moment with your hand. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, that's Mister Rogers in my <laughs> office right yeah. now. 
Yeah. Beautiful. Thank it was you a for that beautiful spirit. movie. I highly recommend it. And there's one thing about the Mr. Rogers movie. This is not a spoiler mm-hmm. because this has been in the trailers. He says at one point, if something is mentionable, Ass. then it's manageable. And I just want to maybe leave your listeners with that. Mm. If we can find ways of talking with our loved ones Mm. about the things that matter most to Mm. us, and we know that they are going to be there for us as we talk about those things, we can manage most of what life throws at us. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review yes. because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info and visit the website at jesussaidlove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.